0: following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and open it to Acts chapter 15. We have been slowly working our way through the book of Acts and Sadly, this is the last message in the book of Acts for now. I hope it's been helpful. Has the series been... I hate to say has it been good? It's been helpful. Have you, have you grown and learned? Great. Really thankful for that. Uh, next week starts the season of Advent, believe it or not, where it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? Um, and so we're going we're gonna to pause on the book of Acts and uh, we're going to walk through quickly uh, the book of Malachi, the Old Testament prophet Malachi. Uh, for the season of Advent. And so uh, that'll be starting next week. But today we conclude Acts chapter 15 and jump a little bit into chapter 16. Recently, uh, we saw the conclusion of this two year missionary journey, the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and his traveling companion Barnabas. Uh, that sort of ended. They visited over nine cities, they, they planted the gospel, planted churches in, in nine different cities. Uh, in the ancient world over that two-year time. And it's safe to say that for the Apostle Paul, at least, um, his life has not panned out the way he thought it would. Uh, if you read, for instance, um, Philippians chapter 3, you'll, you'll, you'll see Paul talk about his previous life, how according to Judaism, right, he was sort of uh, as high as you could get. He was, according to the law, he was righteous. Like, he was he was sort of climbing the if, if there was ever a corporate ladder in Judaism, he, you know, he was climbing it. Maybe he had reached the pinnacle of it until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, everything in his life changed. He moves from a persecutor of the church to a pastor. Uh, I don't know any more dramatic shift than that, right? An enemy of the gospel to an advocate for the gospel. Um, and it made me think as I was reflecting on the, the life of Paul, how many of you just by show of hands, your life is going exactly how you planned it to go? Okay, let the record show that's a big fat zero. All right, none of us um, are, are doing exactly what we thought we'd be doing, or, or, or our life hasn't gone exactly the way we planned for it to go. There are all these unexpected twists and turns in our lives. Some are minor bumps in the road, some completely, you know, are, are upheaval and completely turn our lives upside down. And we're going to see more of that with Paul. Uh, and, and Barnabas and others this morning, but the question I want us to sort of get our arms around as we're looking at this passage is how do we navigate? How do we navigate those unexpected turns, those unexpected uh, twists in our lives, and continue to trust in a sovereign God who loves us and cares for us? Because if we're honest, I think there's some of us who, who we're, we're in the middle of that churning right now. Uh, it's like, you know, you're trying to get up out of the ocean, and the wave just keeps crashing over you and knocking you down, and and we're struggling to understand where God is in the midst of that. So so how do we navigate these unexpected turns in our lives and remain committed to trusting in a sovereign God who loves and cares for us? That's that's the question I want us to wrestle with this morning. Uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 36 of Acts chapter 15. I'm actually going to read to uh, chapter 16, verse 10, and uh, that'll be where we go today. And we'll jump into the rest after the new year. But if you have a Bible with you, uh, there should be a paperback one in the seat back. If you don't have a Bible, I'd really encourage you to look on the page, even though it will be on the screen. That's more for the people at home live streaming than it is for y'all. So if you're in this room, you should have a copy in front of you, opened, whether it's on your phone, tablet, or paper. Uh, All right, I'll chide you later for that. Okay, um, verse 36, here we go. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed having been com- commanded, excuse me, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And when he went through Syria and Cilicia strengthening the churches, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Phrygia and Galatia, and having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia who was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And When Paul had seen the vision, immediately We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are grateful to be your children. Uh, We are so thankful uh, to be able to gather together in this room and to um, sit under the authority of your word in the presence of your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that as we study this morning, as we look at this text, that you would. that you would meet us here, that you would minister to us, that you would encourage us and challenge us and help us uh, look more like Jesus. That is our hope, that we would cling to him with more uh, and deeper faith, that we would um, reflect the love and the beauty of Jesus, and uh, that you would transform the world by the witness of your people, um, empowered by your spirit, armed with your word, where we need you, especially as we go into this season of thanksgiving many of us will be gathered with family and for whatever reason there is contention there is hardship there is turmoil and um and tension that that exists sometimes with family and so we need to be prepared for that and so arm us with grace and wisdom and uh minister to us today through the word we pray in the beautiful name of Jesus and everybody said amen amen all right So I'm going to go ahead and just, I've been doing this, if you're a note taker, uh, I'll go ahead and give you point one and then we'll kind of look at it again. Uh, First point is this, an unexpected divide. You saw that in the text already. Um, Verses 36 to 41, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where they proclaim the word and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take the one who had withdrawn from them in Penphilia and had not gone with him to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. I'm gonna stop there and you can read the rest yourselves another time. You remember last week, uh, Paul and Barnabas had, had been pulled into this controversy and made their way to Jerusalem, this Jerusalem council. And the whole issue there was what does God require for salvation? Is it faith alone, in the finished work of Jesus alone, by the grace of God alone, or is it all those things plus becoming like a Jew, uh, pursuing the ritual of circumcision and following the Jewish law? And so there's this big hubbub, and and after that got settled, and by the way, the Jerusalem council decided, yes, it's only the finished work of Jesus alone that saves you, and so you're clinging to that alone is, is sufficient for salvation. Paul and Barnabas, they come back to Antioch and they're going to stay there probably about a year uh, continuing to minister to the the church there at Antioch. And then the text tells us they have this strong desire to go back and check on all these other congregations uh, that they had planted during their first missionary journey. As much as Paul was mission-driven, you also see here the pastoral heart of Paul and Barnabas, right? He wants to shepherd these congregations, these flocks. He the Judaizers, these these um, the party of the circumcision, as they were called, had been a threat to the church at Antioch, and he knew that they would continue to be a threat to these other churches that had been planted in the region unless they went there to strengthen them. And so they have this desire to sort of retrace their steps on their first missionary journey and go back and and, and strengthen and shepherd the people and help them understand that it's it's the gospel alone, right? The, the finished work of Jesus alone. Uh, that that. That saves you, and so Paul and Barnabas they agree on the objective of the mission, but they disagree. The text tells us sharply on the team. Barnabas wants to take John Mark, who's his cousin. I might have mentioned in a previous sermon it was his nephew, but it's actually his cousin. I misspoke there. So this is his cousin, John Mark, and uh, if you remember, he he came with them from Jerusalem. He was going to be sent out with them on their first missionary journey, and very quickly. Uh, He left them. He went back to Jerusalem. We don't really know why. It's been speculated. Maybe there was sickness. Maybe it was just really hard, and he didn't anticipate that, but it doesn't really matter. What matters is that he left, and and he he never joined them again, and we know that it was a big deal to Paul, a very big deal. Uh, Here, Paul objects, right? There's a sharp disagreement. The ESV is very polite here, It says, Paul thought it was best not to take the one who had withdrawn from them. That's very polite, isn't it? What it literally says is, Paul thought it was right not to take the one who had forsaken them. In fact, that word that's translated as withdrawn or forsaken, it's the same word that Luke uses in Luke chapter 8 when he's giving his version of the parable of the soils. And Jesus talks about the seed that falls on the rocky, on the rocky path and uh, it springs up really quickly, but it has no root. And when testing comes, it falls away. That's the same word that's used here. Okay, so perhaps under a, a bit of testing and tribulation, John Mark fell away. He deserted them, he forsook them. And so Paul's like, he doesn't get another chance with me. Barnabas is like, hey, look, I promised my aunt we would give her another, give him another shot here, All right? Like Barnabas is son of encouragement, right? He's like, let's get. I gave you a chance, Paul. Remember when I defended you before the Jerusalem, you know, the, the the apostles when everybody thought you were a traitor and just kind of sneaking in to murder everyone? Remember when I defended you? Let's do that for John Mark. And Paul's like, no, not having it. He is not coming with us. Now the scripture does not say that this was a sinful disagreement. Although I think we could probably all agree it wasn't the wisest disagreement, especially the fact that it escalated, that it got to this point of such severe contention that they split apart. The word used here uh, means an intense emotional turmoil expressed in words. (laughs) Some of you are going to have a lot of that on Thanksgiving, okay? It's called a fight. You could be like, we're not having a fight. We're having an intense emotional turmoil expressed in words. That's what it is. Whatever happened, they literally went in different directions, right? Um, I mean, how, how big a beef you got to have with somebody to, to physically go in the opposite direction of them after a, a blowout, a fight? Uh, Ryan, if you got that map, uh, pop it up. I meant to tell you earlier. Um, so this is a, a map you're going to see here in a second of the second missionary journey, Okay. Uh, I zoomed in as much as I could. If you look at the far right of the screen in the middle, that's Antioch, okay? And so uh, what what John Mark and Barnabas are going to do is they're going to get on a boat, and they're going to go to that little purple island, Cyprus. That's where Barnabas is from. That was the first leg of their journey on the first missionary journey. So he's just going to literally retrace their steps and go that way. But the red line that goes up from Antioch, that's Paul's journey, okay? He takes Silas. Silas was, uh, we kind of skipped over him him last week, but Silas and Judas had come from Jerusalem to attest uh, to the the validity of the decision that the Jerusalem council had made. Silas has since gone back to Jerusalem, and then Paul calls for him again to go with him. And so they go north uh, through uh, Cilicia and end up in Tarsus, which is where Paul is from, Oddly, they did not visit those places on the first missionary journey, but there were churches there already. And so they're, they're going that way. Uh, they'll end up going north and west, and then uh, Paul and Bar- or, excuse me, Barnabas in and, and, uh, so many names Barnabas and uh, John Mark are going to go to Cyprus, and then we really don't know where they end up after that. right? We kind of lose track of where they, they end up. Nevertheless, this is what happens. Um, I love that this detail about this blow-up between Paul and Barnabas is in the Scripture. They could have easily breezed over this and just say, you know, um, Barnabas transitioned to a new ministry, uh, right? They, but, but the text is honest. They had a fight. I, I mean, think about this. Um, God is doing such amazing stuff in their midst, Right? The gospel is going forward. Gentile people are coming to faith in Christ in droves. Um, People are being healed. There are miracles taking place. God is saving all kinds of people. And these two knuckleheads are so bullheaded that they have a conflict that they cannot resolve and it ends up separating. They split up over it. And when I read that, I think to myself, how very human. Now, some of you might be tempted to say, who was right? And the answer is, it doesn't matter. Uh, they probably were both a little bit right and a little bit wrong. Now, Luke is going to follow Paul's ministry. As I said, we're not really, uh, don't really know all of what happened with, uh, with Barnabas and, and John Mark. But they're probably both right. They're probably both wrong. But the main point of it is God is still working. Even in the midst of this split, we now go from two missionaries to four. Right? The team doubles. Uh, we get John Mark added to the team. We get Silas added to the team. and ju- In just a little while, we'll, we'll hear of Timothy as well. And so the missionary team expands even in the midst of their conflict. Like, just remember, brothers and sisters, God works through human weakness and failing to achieve his purposes and to continue his mission. And sometimes it's quite painful. And I... I hate to say it, but I have been on both the giving and the receiving side of that pain. But the good news is that God's purposes will not, cannot be thwarted by human foolishness or stupidity. (laughs) Jesus meets us in those places with even more of his grace. You know why? Because 2,000 years ago, there was a cross. And all of our failings and all of our foolishness and all of our stupidity and sin was laid on Jesus at the cross. And he died for it all. So that now when our stupidity and our foolishness rises again, it's already been covered by the blood of Jesus. And his mission continues in spite of us. You know how I know that God is sovereign and in control? Because this church still exists and he called me to bleed it. That's not a joke. You know how many days I wake up in the morning going, I don't know if I should be doing this. I don't know if I'm the guy to lead this thing. And yet, God continues to bless, and God continues to save people, and God continues to grow. And and so many of you have found a home here over the last 20 months. You know, um, it's amazing in spite of our failures. And, And we don't need to gloss over them. We need to own them. I need to own them. But at the same time, realize God has a plan, and he has a purpose, I'm so thankful for that reality. And and what does the text tell us is the result of their division. Look at verse 41. And Paul went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So the result of their division, the result of their conflict is that the churches are strengthened. And isn't that good news? Amen. Now, let's move on. Let me get a sip of water real quick. I don't mean to yell at you. I just get excited. Look with me at verse uh, 1 of chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe, to Lystra. If you remember, Lystra is where he was stoned, stones thrown at him, kind of stoned. Uh, A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and in Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. All right, so my second point here, we had an unexpected uh, divide, now we have an unexpected Disciple an unexpected disciple. Um, Just just so you know, uh, it does appear that Paul and Barnabas eventually did reconcile. Uh, They never ministered together again that we know of, but Paul does mention Barnabas. He also mentions John Mark as faithful brothers uh, and co-laborers in other places in the scripture. So it does seem at some point that things cooled down and they were able to reconcile, and we give God praise for that. Um, Luke is now from now through the end of the book of Acts, is basically going to follow the story of Paul. Uh, and so we'll find out why in just a little while. Uh, but nevertheless, Paul and Silas now make their way to Derby to Lystra. These are the last cities that were visited on that first missionary journey. And so Paul's hitting those last cities first now. And they meet Timothy. Uh, Timothy, the scripture tells us, um, well, this is an inference. It it is likely that Timothy, as well as his mother and his grandmother, came to faith in Christ on that first missionary journey. It's it's been maybe four to five years, uh, but when Paul and Barnabas came through and proclaimed the gospel, it's very likely that Timothy and his mother and grandmother came to faith then. Okay, But this is the first time that we know of that Paul is meeting Timothy. Uh, Timothy, his mother and his grandmother were, were, well, at least his grandmother and mother were Jewish Uh, believers in Jesus. But the text is very specific to tell us that his father was a Greek. And uh, the inference there is that his father was Greek, but he's an unbeliever. So he has a mother and a grandmother who are Jews, ethnically, who become Christians. Then he has a father who's a Greek, a Gentile, who doesn't become a Christian. And perhaps some scholars even think he had passed on by then because of the way the language reads. None of that's important. What's important is this. Um, Timothy did not he, he did not um, follow the Jewish practices because of his father. So according to Jewish tradition, on the eighth day, a baby is circumcised. And he wasn't because his father was a Greek. So now he has surrendered to Jesus. He has matured in the faith, at least to the point where he has a good reputation in multiple cities, in multiple churches, not just in his own hometown, but in the adjacent town as well. Possibly uh, he might even be a local level leader in the church at this time. And Paul wants Timothy to join him on this missionary journey. Now, Timothy is a young, young man at this time. Uh, Some scholars think he was a teenager, like an older teenager at this point. But Paul wants him to join him. But in order to join him, he has to have him circumcised. Now, I was really hoping I could get through another sermon without having to say circumcised, but I have to do it again because it was like a whole lot last week. Some of you might be confused if you were here last week, because you're, you're like, wait a minute, I thought, didn't Paul just fight against people having to be circumcised? And the answer is he sure did. And on this missionary journey, he's actually going to share with these churches the news from Jerusalem that, that circumcision is not required for salvation. It is by faith through grace. And you say, oh, well, I'm confused now. <laughs> Paul's argument is that it's not a requirement for acceptance by God. But Paul also knows that their ministry, as they go back through these cities, you remember, um, for instance, Acts 13 was Antioch at Pisidia, which was a largely Jewish community, and Paul goes into the synagogue proclaiming the gospel, and there's all this hubbub because uh, the Jews don't like the message that he's preaching. So he knows that as they go on this journey, they're going to hit the synagogues first. They're going to hit Jewish communities first. And for someone of Timothy's nature, right, mixed ethnicity, um, he's got some Jew in him. And for him not to have gone through the rituals that that the Jews require uh, would make him an outcast, unclean, not worthy of listening to. And Paul knows that. And so he's like, look, we got to do this if, if you're going to come with me because we're going to be hitting these Jewish communities first. So it's not required, but the text tells us it's because of the Jews, or in other words, out of respect for, to honor the Jews. Um, I want to say this is no different. It's wildly different, but it's similar to when we uh, take trips to uh, Tanzania. Uh, they tell us, no shorts, okay? It's 98,000 degrees there. It's right on the equator, but no shorts, you must wear pants, and the women must wear long skirts all the way to the ankle. Why? Because culturally, that's what's acceptable, no matter your religion, okay? And so if you come in dressed like Americans, they're not going to listen to you because you're whatever, right? it's, It's culturally a barrier for them. That's what Paul's doing here. He's like, look, Timothy, we want to be culturally acceptable because what's more important then whether you're circumcised or not is that these people meet Jesus. The decision is to honor the Jews. Paul will later say in 1 Corinthians 9, um, when I'm around the Jews, I act like a Jew. When I'm around Gentiles, I act like a Gentile. I have become all things to all men that I might win some. Which I imagine Timothy going, well, that's easy for you to say, right? You don't have to go through this little surgery. But nevertheless, okay, he, th- this is the heart behind doing it. Right? We don't want to put any unnecessary barriers before people. I, I've been invited to preach at some churches that are a lot more traditional than ours, and when I do that, I dress up, believe it or not. I tuck my shirt in. I even might put a tie and a sport coat on, right? Because I want to honor those people. I know, I look good. I make it look good, but <clears throat> you only get to see it on Easter. So, um, right, it's just deference. I'm laying down my right, my freedom, in order to serve you. That's all it's about. Okay, here's the point I really want to get to. Paul takes Timothy under his wing for around 10 years. Um, if, you, if you've read the New Testament, you know that they have a very father-son-like relationship. Uh, Paul often refers to Timothy as his son in the faith. Uh, Timothy helps him write a lot of those New Testament letters. You'll see he says the Apostle Paul and Timothy to whoever, right? To the church at this place or that place or whatever. Timothy eventually ends up as the pastor of the church at Ephesus, Uh, And so Paul helps him navigate that in the letters of 1st and 2nd Timothy. Here's what this tells me. Paul was just as concerned with maturing disciples as he was multiplying disciples. In other words, Paul was not concerned purely with just preaching the gospel and seeing people get saved— But as we see in the fact that he's revisiting these churches and he's now taking Timothy under his wing, he's concerned with these people growing up in the faith. And I think you see the heart of Paul in his letters all about that, right? He's writing course correction to them. He's encouraging them. He's rebuking them. He's challenging them to to grow up, to mature in the faith. This is his heart. And we even see... His discipleship strategy, if you will, uh, laid out in his second letter to Timothy. Uh, uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it for you. I made a little bookmark for myself. <laughs> um, if I can get it. Come on, bookmark. All right, here we go. Second Timothy, chapter two, this is what he says Speaking Paul to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's it. That's his discipleship strategy, right? What you've heard from me in the presence of many, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There's four generations there of discipleship. You see that? Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, faithful men to others. We talk a lot here about the mission of God, right? Our church's name is the mission of God. Missio Day. that's what it means. And I I feel like I need you to understand that to be on a mission is to be in discipleship relationships. It, It doesn't necessarily mean that you cross water to go evangelize. Evangelism is part of the mission of God but what did Jesus say? Go and what? Make disciples, okay? Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So maturing is just as much part of the mission of God as multiplying is. That's why our mission statement here is maturing and multiplying, because you can't multiply until you mature. At least you shouldn't, because you're going to multiply some immature stuff, okay? So let me ask you, where do you find yourself on that generational timeline? Would you say you are a Paul-type person pouring yourself into a Timothy? Are you a Timothy-type person receiving from a Paul in your life and or passing on to faithful men and women, you know, spiritually uh, beyond you? Are you others who are just receiving from whoever? Um, it's been said by people a lot smarter than me, we all need a Paul and a Timothy in our lives, right? We all need someone who's a little bit ahead of us, who can help us navigate the, the nuances of life and faithfulness to Jesus. And we all need to be transferring what God has shown us through these others to others, right? To, to folks younger in the faith than us, who we can help grow uh, into maturity as well. When I was 21 years old, uh, the church I was at, we were kind of new there. And I, I met this guy named Ray. And uh, I just saw something in him. He, he kind of had a similar sense of humor to me. And I, I went on a short-term mission trip to New York City with him and, and a bunch of teenagers. Uh, and I saw how he navigated that. And I was approaching. I think I was engaged at the time. I, I knew I was going to get married to Christina. And I was like, I need help because I'm an idiot. And so I went to Ray and I just said to him, um, hey, would you would you meet with me sometime? I'd just like to learn from you, and um, and he was gracious and said yes, even though he had many other men who were asking him to meet with them. And we ended up meeting together for I want to say two and a half years, and then we ended up joining a community group that he led as well. And my wife and I really got to know he and his wife very well. And I cherish those moments, right? And I'm not I'm not trying to make much of me. I'm trying to make much of the fact that it's just as simple as going up to someone and saying, Hey, can we meet? You don't need a program, right? I know some of us are very introverted, and we're like, I don't even know how to go up to someone or what to say. Like, you need, like, a Christian discipleship tender to be like, let's look at the profile, swipe, you know? Um, And we're not going to do that, so you're going to get over yourself and just talk to people. It's how relationships work. Um, God has... um, God has, over the years, and continues to really bless this church with a lot of, I'll call it, um, what what do I say, a lot of Timothys and Tiffany's, (laughs) we'll just call it that, Uh, younger folks in age and younger in the faith. And in the last few years, in particular, you know, in the last, I don't know, year or so, um, God has also blessed us with a ton of Pauls and Paulines, who got a little life on you and a lot of experience. Um, and I'm so grateful for that because we need that wisdom and uh, we, we need that, that, um, that love, that energy. And I've talked to so many of you who are like, hey, I want to pour my life into the next generation. And so I'm just saying to all of you, if you're looking for a Timothy or a Tiffany, they're here. If you're looking for a Paul or a Pauline, they're here. And you don't need um, a program. You don't need a ministry you need to awkwardly go up to someone that you have seen around and go, hey, could we get coffee? Because <laughs> I have some questions. I see that you are still married. How did you do that? I see that your kids don't hate you. How did you do that? You, you don't hate your kids. How does that happen? Right? I see, right, whatever the cir- circumstances, is, I see that you're nearing retirement. How do you stay faithful in a career? Right? I see that you your Bible looks well-worn. Tell me about your journey with Jesus, right? It's all kinds of stuff. Or you come up to someone younger and you go, hey, um, I don't have all the answers, but I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. And if I could help you prevent making a couple, I'd love to do that. Would you want to meet with me? All right, it's very simple, okay? It's awkward, but it's very, very simple. And, uh, and I pray that, that you will take initiative, young folks, older folks, to seek out people, right? To disciple, to be discipled by, to learn from, and to teach. And, and listen, um, it may not be, it may be that organic, like, one-on-one kind of thing. And, and some of you, I want to just champion this for a moment. Some of you are pouring your lives into those children up in our kid's wing during the 11 every single Sunday. And I'm so grateful for that. That is discipling. You are discipling those children. And you know what? We need a whole lot more of you to be discipling those children. Uh, because right now we only have one kids ministry. It's at 11. We used to have a nine and an 11 before COVID. And so many of you have been willing to come back, but not willing to pour your lives into the next generation. That's not an indictment, it's just reality. Uh, But week by week by week, right? You are the same faithful, non-anxious presence in the lives of children and, and students. And that is so desperately needed in this time. And what's the result, church? The text tells us the churches are strengthened and people are added to them daily. That's good news, isn't it? It's really good news. Okay, my time is winding down, so I need to finish this up very quickly. Um, Look with me at verse 6. You hanging in with me, guys? Verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia, I think. And Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, when they'd come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. The Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul at night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Duh. Okay, Uh, show that map one more time, if you will. Drum roll, please. Okay, so uh, the green area, Galatia, is where they were when he met Timothy, okay? It's likely they tried to go due west into the red territory, that's Asia, Asia Minor, where they would have hit places like Colossae and uh, Ephesus and cities like that, which they eventually do get to. But for whatever reason, the spirit was like, nope, not now, not yet. So then they were like, all right, well, let's go due north. And you see up there that whatever color that is, light greenish yellow, Bithynia and Pontus, they tried to go straight up into that territory. And the spirit, for whatever reason, was like, nope, not now, not yet. So what do they do? They wander, they meander. They have no clear direction. They simply go west and they go into Mysia there and they end up, and it's hard to see, but there's a little dot near the uh, Aegean Sea there called Troas, and that's where they end up. 400 miles from uh, Antioch and Pisidia and some of those places that they had visited after he, uh, Timothy joined the team. 400 miles of wandering, 400 miles of meandering around without clear direction from the Lord as to what to do or where to go. They're hitting some roadblocks and the roadblock is not opposition from people opposed to the gospel. The roadblock is not controversy from within the church because of the gospel. The roadblock is the Lord himself who is stopping them. We don't know how. We don't know whether it was, um, you know, dreams or visions that said no. We don't know if they tried to proclaim the gospel and no one believed it. No one responded to it. So they just kept on going. We don't know. All we know is it was clear to them that doors had been closed twice, once to the west once to the north. I wonder if you know what that feels like to have doors closed over and over again. So they meander up to Troas, 400 miles from Pisidia, not at all where they expected they would be. All right, so my final point here, I forgot to tell you, is an unexpected detour. Unexpected detour. Imagine perhaps the discouragement of the team at this time. Remember, Silas is pretty new to the team. Timothy just joined them. They're like, we get to to minister with the Apostle Paul. We get to go to all these places. We've heard the stories of him telling about all this amazing stuff that happened in these nine different cities they went to, and they're on the way, and nothing's happening. And there's roadblocks in every direction. And you've got got to think that at some point, uh, Silas and Timothy were like, what are we even doing? Right? Right? Like, I, aren't you the apostle, Paul? Are you listening? <laughs> like, is God saying something to you? Because we're just kind of out here on an endless camping trip. What is happening, right? Which reminds me, it's easy for us to trust the Lord when we feel like we're getting traction. But it's really hard to trust the Lord when we feel like we're spinning our wheels. But the Lord leads through both open and closed doors. And the reality is a lot of our learning to trust the Lord comes through closed doors, doesn't it? A lot of our learning to trust the Lord comes through our meandering and our wandering and our uncertainty about what God is up to. We learn to trust him. So finally, Paul has this dream, this vision. A man of Macedonia says, hey, come, come over here. Um, and it must have been something that gave Paul confidence, right? Because he doesn't have many strikes left here every, he, he's been like, hey, let's go here. And it's a no, let's go here. And it's a no. And this one requires a boat, right? They got to go to Macedonia from Troas. And I just imagine he didn't have a lot of strikes left with Silas and Timothy. Uh, and so he comes to them and he goes, hey, I had this dream. I had this vision. We're supposed to go to Macedonia. And apparently the team confirmed it. Okay. Because it says, we concluded that God was calling us which also raises the question, who's we? Who wrote the book of Acts? Luke. Apparently Luke has joined them now. What's interesting to me is Luke does not ever tell us when he met Paul, when he joined this team, but all of a sudden it's we. This is the first we statement in the book of Acts where Luke, the author of the book, is saying, I'm on the team now and we are heading to Macedonia but he didn't think that any of the backstory about how he met Paul was important enough to include in the book of Acts. So he didn't. And so they'll board a ship. And uh, as we will see in the coming chapters after the new year, um, this, this journey will absolutely irrevocably change the world because the gospel is now going to invade Europe. Europe. And it spreads like wildfire through Europe. And many of us are, you know, Anglo-Saxon European descendants who came to America um, largely influenced by what happens through the ministry of Paul in this second journey into Europe. The gospel will eventually make its way to Rome. And listen, it, it'll come with a lot more hardship and a lot more pain for Paul. Um, but he considers it worth it. Uh, In fact, in Philippians, he will say, I want you to know that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Now, what do we draw from that? Sometimes I think that we make discerning God's will or God's call a whole lot harder than it needs to be. We're looking for the vision and we're not paying attention to the open and the closed doors we're not discerning what God is up to through our community, as you see Paul doing. I had this vision. Community affirms it, right? We process internally by ourselves because we're American and we're like, no one needs to know this. I'll just make the decision, then I'll tell people my decision rather than laying the decision before the community and saying, help me process this, okay? And here's the reality. Relationships come, relationships go. Doors open, doors close, But the Lord still cares for you. The Lord still leads you. And wherever the Lord leads us, we we have got to be people who remain open and humble. Open and humble, wherever he leads us. And you say, okay, how do we become that kind of people who remain humble and open and willing to trust and follow the Lord wherever he leads us? And my answer is we cling to Jesus. <laughs> because when Jesus came, he, he knew the assignment. He knew exactly why he was coming, and he came anyway. Some of you, you have this notion of like, if I just knew the next two to five steps, right, I would, I would walk into it confidently. And I don't think you would. Because what if the next two to five steps include cancer, include divorce, include your house burning down, include a car crash, include you know, losing a family member. You wouldn't want to know that because you would never do it. You'd never step forward. But Jesus, knowing what was before him, came and did it anyway. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus, the night before he's executed, when he is pleading with God the Father, he says, if there is any other way to save our people than this, then let's do that. But nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. And he entrusted himself to God the Father to the point of death. The only way that he could bring us life. And now you and I have life eternal. And the acceptance of God and the very spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is in us and speaks to us even now. And we have the promise of God from Romans chapter eight, which I know feels cliche at times, but it is true nonetheless that for those who love God, all things work together for their good. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that good doesn't mean materially good. It means making you more like Jesus. All things work together for the good, the refining, the strengthening, the, the Christ-likeness of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And so, when we embrace that reality, we can step forward. Um, I don't know if you know the... the uh, Christian missionary and map maker, so to speak, uh, David Livingston. Uh, He was an English missionary to Africa. He tried to go to China, and then the first opium war broke out, and he couldn't go. Imagine training your whole life to go minister to China, and you're like, now I'm in Africa. Talk about a closed door, right? And every every place he went, he had a very Paul Barnabas-like split up with a missionary partner. He... um, He went to places where he proclaimed the gospel and no one cared. It was just dead end after dead end after dead end. And yet God used him profoundly. There's only one recorded person who ever came to faith through the ministry of David Livingston. And yet here's what David would say. Without Christ, not one step. With Christ, anywhere. May that be our heart. Without Christ, not one step. With Christ, anywhere. For his glory, for our good, for the good of those who don't even know him yet. Amen? All right, that's a few questions I want to throw on the screen for you real fast, and then we will move into our time of response. Thanks for your patience, brothers and sisters. Uh, first question is this. You can take a picture of the screen, write them down if, as they come, whatever you want to do here, but I would encourage you to take them with you. Where have I seen the sovereign hand of the Lord through unexpected twists and turns in my life, Or, where am I struggling to see God's hand right now? I'm experiencing a twist and a turn, and it's hard for me to see God's hand. Where have I seen the sovereign hand of God? Through unexpected events, turns, twists. Where am I struggling to see God's hand right now? Wherever you find yourself. And see, this is why community is so important. And I know most of us aren't going to have community group this week because of Thanksgiving. This is where those who have seen the sovereign hand of God can encourage those who can't see it right now. So maybe you talk about that over Turkey. Second question. What do discipling relationships look like for me? Who am I learning from? Who's learning from me? All of us are called into the mission of God. All of us are called into discipling relationships. Some of you, your primary discipling relationship is your children, and praise God for that. You're pouring your life, investing your life into your kids, that they might come to know the Lord Jesus. For those of you, you have more time, more margin on your hands. You're young in the faith. You need help. You're older in the faith. You want to share the wisdom that God has given you from all the mistakes you've made. Who am I discipling? What do those relationships look like for me? And listen, we're not going to play matchmaker necessarily, but if you need a discipler or if you want to disciple someone, let us know. You can fill out a Connect card and say, hey, I'm available or I need help. (laughs) Okay? And we'll try to see if we can find uh, some people for you to talk to about that. And then third. How to sing Jesus trust in God's sovereign plan help me to trust in God's plan for me even when I can't see what's ahead? When Jesus came knowing what was before him, seeing the cross that lay ahead, willing to trust God's plan, willing to endure the cross for our sake, taking our sin on himself, dying in our place, rising again, if Jesus could trust in God's sovereign plan like that, how does that help me trust God's sovereign plan even when I can't see what's coming? Okay. All right, I'm going to leave these questions up on the screen uh, just for a little bit. You can continue writing them down or take a picture. Uh, I'm going to invite you to communion. This is our time to remember and to celebrate what Jesus did for us. If you are a follower of Jesus who has surrendered your life to Christ, you're welcome to come uh, down these two middle aisles. Um, all of the wafers are now gluten-free. Okay, It's just simpler that way. So you can go to gluten at brunch, but we're going to go gluten-free here. There is juice and wine. There are two stations per table, okay? So if you're comfortable, you can come and take the left or the right, and then somebody can come beside you to the other table. Uh, the center bowls have the rip and sip, so if you're still a little COVID conscious and don't want to touch uh, the wafers or whatever, you can just grab one of those and go back to your seat. And as you take it, you are taking this bread in remembrance of the, the, the broken body of Jesus uh, to make us whole you are dipping into the juice or the wine, remembering and celebrating the blood of Jesus, which was spilled for us to cleanse us from sin. You dip it in and then take it back to your seat and, and take it, eat it there, okay? Don't eat it at the table. It just helps with the flow and germs and whatnot. So um, let me pray. You're invited. If you're not a Christian, just stay in your seat. This isn't for you. Uh, as you make your way back to your seats, uh, there are giving boxes. If you want to give an offering, um, and then uh, the band's going to return and lead us in a couple songs before we're done, okay? Father, thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for the encouragement uh, that we experience even from division uh, and, and detour um, to know that you are sovereignly still at work, that you love us, that you care for us and that you're at work in our lives despite us and despite uh, the pain and the hardship that we experience. And so help us, Lord, to trust you even more. Help us to, uh, yeah, to just, to just be surrendered to you wherever you would send us, whatever you have for us and help us to continue to mature as disciples who make disciples. Uh, Lord, I pray that this becomes a church where um, everyone finds their place in the mission of God, and and is being poured into, and can pour into the next generation, and that people would mature in their understanding of their identity in Christ, and that the the gospel would multiply out of here uh, to the ends of the earth. So help us, Lord, to be faithful to you in this season, and uh, would you meet us here with more and more and more grace for your glory for our good, for the good of our city in this world. We pray in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen.